welcome to Rome Cooney Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, just a few announcements. Um, just a big thank you to all those that helped with the wood rot in the other building, the outside walls up. Um, today, after service, please go take a look as we're moving along. It's, it's ready for when the wetness comes, and I'm thankful for all those guys that helped and gave of their time. Also, um, kind of where the classrooms are towards the nursery, uh, we had uh, that kind of touched up with some paint, and it looks really good. And so today, as we gather and have that time of fellowship, poke your head in, or if you use the bathroom, you'll see it too. Uh, but you can see and just want to give you guys knowing that there's a lot of just work that's been done and is going to continue to be done and thankful for all those that gave of their time and uh, talent. So um, today we are in Matthew chapter 6, continuing with the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to kind of go along the realms of not just Matthew 6, but we'll be kind of in the Sermon Amount a few places too. So I'm not going to have have you turn too many places. Don't worry, it won't be too hard. Uh, but Matthew 6, if you want to just have your Bibles there. Will you go before the Lord with me in prayer? Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for today. This is a day that you've made. We're called to be glad and to rejoice in it, and we are. Thank you, God. Lord, we want to have our hearts prepared to receive from you, that the Holy Spirit would bring your word into our minds and our hearts. There would be conviction. As we desire to surrender to you, God, I do ask that you would reveal things in our life that we have not surrendered to you. We pray, as many have prayed the Lord's Prayer, and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, but do we mean it? Let it be something deep within us that we surrender and submit and say, God, you are God, you are worthy, and we desire for you to be known. And so be with our time looking at your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen currently finishing up um, of the biography on Adoniram, Adoniram Judson uh, by Courtney Anderson. Uh, if you ever like haven't read um, or you need a recommendation for a biography, I would always recommend that one's on my list. Um, many of you may know who he was, but Judson was the first American missionary that was sent out uh, once America became independent from England. And so he was kind of the one heading that up, the direction of missions in America. And God placed on his heart to go to the land of Burma. And as he went, um, being the first uh, missionary sent out with another couple and another, a couple other people, he went through so many things. Uh, loss of his wife and multiple wives, I should say, down the road. Uh, children, imprisonment, being tortured and beaten, as well as sickness and as himself dying in the land that God called him to. But for Judson and the team that went, uh, they did an ordination service before they went out. And it's kind of interesting because it was this time where the church was to um, kind of lay hands on them, send them out. And as much as it was of a celebration, the tone which Judson um, and his wife write in their private journals, if you will, that it felt more like a funeral service is because many people knew that they probably wouldn't see each other again. 
It was one of those because the travel aspect was so difficult that the chances of being um, in a shipwreck were pretty high, as well as knowing that there was just the unknown. They didn't have travel like they do, to, like we do today. They didn't have communication like we do today. And so it, the tone of it was very somber, but yet also very joyous. During the 18th and 19th century, many missionaries would actually put all their possessions in a coffin. They would load up all the stuff, put it in the coffin, and that's what they would take. And it was twofold. Just like with Judson and the missionaries that were sent out, they knew that they, their likelihood of death was high. Whether it would be on their way there or in the land that God called them to, that would be high. But it also signified something very, very deep within them of conviction. They said, it's kind of like how the Greeks would burn their boats as they went onto foreign soil, knowing that there's no turning back. It was for them saying, we are committed to where God has called us, and we're willing to die if this is His will. That they're willing to count the cost and go all the way if this is what the Lord had for them. They weren't looking back. They understood that they were citizens of another place. They were called to proclaim the kingdom of God, and their calling was to go. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. This is a mindset of the disciple of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, whoever would save his life will, who knows what he says, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the thinking that goes on for the disciple of Christ, knowing that our lives are not our own, who we're called to follow after, who reigns and rules, and knowing that our lives are His to, to go and be willing to be servants. This is really the heart behind this part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The petition in this passage is that. See, the Lord's Prayer is something that we see Jesus being asked by His disciples. They said, teach us to pray. I'm sure like you, hopefully you're like me, but... Um, I've been amazed with so many talented people within our church body. They're gifted, whether it's fixing things or building things or playing music or instruments or just they're good at what they're doing. And so I find myself having to ask a lot of questions. How did you do that? Show me. Man, you're very talented and you're learning. And I wonder if the disciples just saw how Jesus and his life and how he conducted himself, obviously Jesus being God in flesh, fully God, fully man, that he conducted himself differently, but they saw something different about his life, his ministry, his power, and how he presented himself. Many times you read in the Gospels how Jesus went to a large crowd, and what did he do after he was present with them? It says he withdrew to pray. And so they saw the connection, and they asked him, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray this way. Now we know the Lord's Prayer is not this magic formula that we pray and this is what we pray and say, okay, good, I prayed exactly this way, so here we go. It's a model to reveal in our hearts how we're called to be before the Lord. And that's really the heart behind it. What we're asking, what we're seeking, these are big things. And if you notice in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll read in a moment and go over again, which by the end of this, hopefully we all know by heart, if you do not already. But the heart of it was to say, God, I desire you and you alone and for what you desire in this world. 
It was bigger than even the personal things that we go through. And it's not bad. And actually, we can lift up our personal requests before God. But this was a bigger picture that Jesus was presenting before them. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We were able to see already as we looked at the first part of the Lord's prayers, who are we directed to in prayer? Jesus gives a picture that God as Father, one that we come to with our requests, our petitions, a good Father who inclines His ear to His children. That the Apostle Paul hung on to this, realized that we get to say, Abba, Father, or Daddy. That we get to go to Him. Prayer is a serious business. As Timothy Keller writes in his book titled Prayer, it plunges us into the fullness of who God is and His love becomes more than the rejection or disappointment we are experiencing. We get to come to the Good Father with who we are, that we don't hide who we are, that we get to come exactly just as we are and say, we get to come into His presence and He's good. That He welcomes us. Not only that, but He says, how would be your name? That we get to know that God is holy and the holy God allows us to come to His throne room and with our requests and ask of Him, as the author of Hebrews says, with boldness, all because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Just for a moment before we move into our text today, think about this. God who is perfect, without sin, who is holy, allows sinners like you and like me to come to Him. That should blow our minds. Before we just jump and move on to the next thing, it should cause us to stop and be in awe of His goodness and grace that He showers upon us, that He welcomes us, and that He knows us. What a great thing that we may never lose sight of it. So in our passage today, verse 10, we're just going to look at these two aspects of the Lord's Prayer. God's kingdom and God's will. Both are mentioned in this that says, it's your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew highlights this many times in his gospel, but he titles it the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the Greek word for kingdom is found 162 times in the New Testament. And as Jesus didn't attach whose kingdom it is in the sentence, we know that he's who the prayer is directed to, that this is God's kingdom. The idea is that we are submitting to the rule and reign of God. This is what that prayer, this part of this petition is asking. God, your kingdom come, submitting to and surrendering to his rule and reign. But how many of you are like me? Sometimes we want our kingdom or our rule, our agendas, instead of surrendering to them, to the Lord and submitting to His rule and reign. We push ours. The way we could think of the kingdom of God is this way. Think of the kingdom of God as His reign and rule. Or the kingdom of God is His redemptive presence coming down from heaven to earth. The very first words that are recorded in the Gospel of Mark by Jesus are this. 
the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we talk about the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven, both are the same. We're talking about his presence, his power, his position, what Christ came to do. And did you know that the church is an outpost or embassy of the kingdom of God? That's the church's role in the world, is that we get to be this outpost or this embassy of who God is and what he does. An embassy is a piece of land in a foreign land that represents its sending nation. The purpose of an embassy is to, to present or advance its nation's interests as well as wanting peace. I had the opportunity a couple times to visit Haiti, which we want to continue praying for that nation that's in turmoil. But where we did ministry was in Port-au-Prince, the capital, and we would drive by and we saw the American embassy there. And it was good to know, not that we ever thought something was going to happen, but we ever thought, like, if there ever was a place that we needed to go, if there was danger and we needed to, where would we go to? Embassy. Because that represented where I'm from as an American, where I could go, where there's safety and security, but also knowing there was a purpose there. More so, as a church, we're called to promote what? The gospel. We're called to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, is present, but it's also a future hope. That's what we get to do. The goal of the church is advancing the interests of God. See, the church is not wanting just society transformation as its goal. We don't stop there. Yes, we like to see things change. We like to see crime stop. We like to see help given to those in need. But there's something bigger that we're called to do as believers. And what is that? Seeing the gospel go out and lives being changed for Christ. And as eternal life is shared, then we see that through that, how the gospel transforms people and how that transforms societies, it changes families. That's why the gospel is so important and why we share and say the gospel to other people. Now, if you really look at the word kingdom in the Bible, there is this tension that goes on. Because Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, but he also talks about that the kingdom is not here. It's almost like that it's here, but not yet, or it's present and it's future. There's this tense tension. As Jesus said in Mark, his first words, the kingdom of God is here. He also said in John chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. So there's, there's tension in the sense of the here and not yet the present and the future. But he's really in this prayer, it's petitioning, saying, may we desire to submit to you, God, and your rule and reign. When we pray about God's kingdom coming, it's also pointing to when Christ will return. J.I. Packery writes, any request for a new display of God's sovereignty and grace, renewing the church, converting sinners, restraining evil, providing good in this world is a further spelling out of Thy kingdom come. That's what we're asking. So when we say, Your kingdom come, and we ask that prayer, or we go before the Lord, it's actually a big prayer. We're saying, God, would Your presence be manifested here in this world? Would who You are be known among the people? Would homes be changed? 
Would societies be changed? But knowing that it's because of the gospel, not anything that we're doing, but because of who Christ is. See, the kingdom of God does not come by human or earthly means. It can only come by the Spirit of God. So we don't build the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom. God does the work. Let me ask you this. How is one part of this kingdom that is in this prayer that we're called to pray? Well, this isn't brought about by elections or education or good works or even a list of stewardship items that we could think about like being environmental or taking care of other things. No. This comes about by living obediently and following the King of Kings. Surrendering to Him. We are saying we agree with the rule and reign of the true King, the King of all kings, the one who's above it all, We desire to live out His interests. We submit to His authority. And so when we pray your kingdom come, you're agreeing that you agree with God's presence. That you agree to His rule and to His reign and you are wanting to proclaim that truth. So let me ask you this. Do you pray that way? Do you pray your kingdom come? You desire for God's rule and reign to be known and to be proclaimed. The second aspect of this prayer is your will be done. It's very similar and true to that, that we're asking that we want His will, His knowing, His life of obedience to come into our life and to show that we desire to follow after Him. Now the will of God, there's two aspects to it in the Bible. First is there's a will of decree. And second, there's a will of desire. God's will of decree is this. God's sovereignty and control over all things. This is that when we're saying that uh, everything that happens in life is the will of God. There's no coincidence that He allows and does because He's God. There's no chance. It's His will of decree. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Uh, this is also saying like, nothing that God does can be stopped or thwarted, as Isaiah chapter 40, 14, verse 27 says. This is understanding that He's sovereign. He rules. This is His will. So we understand that. But there's also God's will of desire. And what is that? This is that what he desires or what he commands of us and wants of us. This is obedience. So what's the will of God? That as believers, followers of Christ, that we would walk in obedience. There are many passages in Scripture that point to this. First, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So what is God's will in your life as a follower of Christ? that you pursue after being sanctified in sanctification. Uh, you walk in obedience. Or 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, which says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, is pointing to God's will for us, 
that we would walk in obedience to His commands. That's a big prayer. We're saying, God, would Your presence be known and may we walk in obedience to Your will, in obedience to You. God, You've commanded a certain way and I want to live that way. That's what we're agreeing to. So in a sense, this is not just saying, Lord, help me. It's saying there's this acknowledgement that You've asked me to live a certain way and I'm going to walk in obedience to that way. Church, let me ask you this. Well, then how should we live if this is our prayer? Well, first, I hope that's your prayer. I hope you do pray your kingdom come, your will be done. But first, we need to ask that it starts with us, with us personally. Before you point the finger at someone else or some other function or some other institution, remember you have three more pointing back at you. And you need to say, Lord, it starts with me. May your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life. May I surrender to who you are and what you have for me, that you rule and reign would be evident. See, this prayer in this petition is praying God's plan and his rule, and it's also personal. We need to pray that it takes root in our own lives. That when we pray your kingdom come and your will be done, we're surrendering and submitting to God. Do you pray that way? Actually, I think that's kind of a hard thing to do. Because how many of you are like me that you're like, but I also like other things. But I guess I have my own plans. But what about these things? But as a king who rules, we're called to submit to the ruler. And He's a good ruler. He's a good king. The one who knows you. The one who cares for you and says even those the desires of her heart. And so it starts with us to be obedient workers of the kingdom. How we should live? We should also be missional. This is one who surrenders and submits to the kingdom of God will then understand what we are to do. Did you know as believers we're ambassadors to the king and to his kingdom? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is similar to the aspect of an embassy. They represent the nation that sent them to promote that nation's interests and as well as to seek peace. But here we are as called as Christians, as followers of Christ, what are we to do? We're ambassadors for the King. We go out, we share the interests of the King, we promote who He is and what He's all about, which there's peace with God, and we're called to live a certain way. We announce what Jesus has done. We show that the King saves sinners, and the only one can, that can be saved is because of Christ alone. So the Kingdom of God is marked by the advancement of the gospel. It doesn't come by political parties or armies. It doesn't come with a new leader in office. It comes by the Spirit of God, by us surrendering to Him as followers, whether of sons or daughters to the King. We're called to make disciples and to be witnesses. That's an ambassador. And so as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we understand that at first it starts with us. Then we're called to live it out outwardly. But then we also need to live expectantly. 
See, kingdom-minded believers are those who desire the will of God and they live it expectantly. We have true hope. True hope in what Christ has accomplished through His life, death, and resurrection. Actually, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there, verse 3, the section that's called the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn back to chapter 6. In the section, verses 25 through 34, we won't read it all. But verse 33 He's talking about, in that section, not being anxious, but what are we called to do? It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's this way that we live as kingdom children that reflects that. To be poor in spirit means that we know that we need the Lord, that in our own strength, we're poor, we can't do it, we fall short. That knowing that there's going to be challenges and even persecution, but that we should expect it, that there's going to be some pushback and hardship, that if they treated Christ the Master a certain way, how so would he treat how so would the disciples be treated, us, his followers? We don't have to be anxious, but we could be comforted knowing that as we seek after God and his rule and reign and what he asks and to live obediently, that we're comforted knowing that he takes care of us because he's a good king. So the petition says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. As I mentioned the missionary Adinaram Judson earlier in the message, it is interesting all that he went through. And I said that he went through a lot of afflictions on his trip. His first wife, Nancy, it was also her name was Anne, but they called her Nancy, they had three children. One, while they were sailing from India to Ragoon, where it was kind of the mouth of where they could go to in Burma, their baby was born but died. It was born as a stillbirth. Uh, their second child only lived a few weeks. Their third child died when she was two years old. And this was during a time that he was in prison for 18 months. It was a during time that England bombarded the, one of the ports and they thought any foreigner was a spy so they arrested him. He was being uh, placed in stocks and just it was gnarly what he went through for 18 months. His wife, Nancy, uh, had to bring him food every day and take care of their child. And Nancy died after 11 months after his release from prison and six months after Nancy died, their daughter died. Three months after their daughter died, he received a letter that his father died, and it was eight months earlier, but that's how long it took for him to receive word. And during that time, he had a breakdown and went into isolation and lived in the tiger-infested jungle of Burma all by himself. He was in a low point, very low. It was during that time that he received word that his younger brother also died, but that turned him around where he kind of was coming out of the darkness into light and realized what God was calling him to do. The darkness of his soul was lifting. He ended up remarrying a widow named Sarah, who, was bore, who bore him eight children. Five would live into adulthood. He still suffered some death. 
she became sick and he realized that getting her out of the country and best trying to get back to America would maybe be best for her. And she died on their way back to America. It was the only time he came back to the States after he left out of his 38 years of serving the Lord in Burma. The spiritual work was slow. He didn't see the first Burmese person be converted until after six years that he lived there. They didn't have a Bible in the language. So he had to not only learn the language, but then he also accomplished by completing the Burmese Bible completely, Old and New Testament. As he also was imprisoned in time of isolation, and there was also depression. But after 19 years of being in Burma, the gospel is spreading out, not just in Burma, but in Siam, China, and word was getting out that he was a man who taught Jesus, and people were saying, teach me about Jesus. It was slow work, but there was work nonetheless. Judson died when he was 57 years old in the land that God called him to go. As he translated the Burmese Bible, he also had a dictionary. He made a dictionary that was done to help future missionaries. And there were hundreds of converts leading the church by the time of his death. Today, there are about 3,700 congregations of Baptists in Myanmar, or would we be Burma. And they trace their origin to this man's labor of love. The question is, how can someone like that do that? Endure such affliction and loss and not throw in the towel? It's because he understood that his citizenship was of a different place. And not just because he was American. It was of heaven. He was kingdom-minded. His prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He realized that there was this real reality of who God is and the truth that the gospel needs to go out. The gospel is not only worth it, but he saw the eternal goal of what he is called to do. So church, may our prayer, may my prayer, and I hope that this is your prayer, that be our Father who is heaven, who is holy and righteous. May we put ourselves aside and come under his rule and his presence. May we desire what he wants. May we hate what he hates. May we walk in obedience what we're called to do. If we go to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus also in the Sermon he says this in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here Jesus gets to the heart. How does one be kingdom-minded? We do His will. We walk in obedience. I gotta tell you, on our own, we fall short. We can't. In our own strength, in our own way, might, in our own ways, you and I still fall short. The only way is the one who walked perfectly and obediently is Jesus. And because he took our place on the cross, because he who knew no sin yet took on our sin, 
had made it, has make it, made it possible for us to be children of righteousness. It's because of what Jesus has done. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, really this should be us surrendering, saying, Jesus, you rule and reign. That we surrender and submit, that we repent of our sin and we call in his name. Have you done so? I pray and hope you have. Only way to be kingdom children is because of Christ who paved the way through his life, death, and resurrection. Do you know him? Church, will you pray with me? God, we thank you that we can even come to you. You are a good father who hears from your children. You're holy, and yet we could come to you knowing that our desire is to pursue after holiness. And because of Christ, we're accepted, but knowing that there will be one day when we're truly made holy. But until then, Lord, help us to pursue in obedience following after you. God, I have two requests today. One, you know everyone here. Nothing is hidden from you. And there's some that don't know you. God, I pray that they would understand how much you love them, how much that was displayed as we look to what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection. That the Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And really, this is surrendering to, submitting to, knowing that we are sinners who have wronged you, God, and we're separated from you because of sin. And the only way that we can come to you is because of Jesus, the one who took our sin through, on the cross through his death, the one who conquered sin and death through his resurrection three days later. And so this is a surrendering to. God, I also pray for the believer here today that their prayer would be this, their desire would be this, God, would your presence be known in my life? Would I surrender and submit to your will in my life? May I walk in obedience to your goodness and grace that you've paved the way that you've shown me and your word. God, may I be known and accepted because of what Jesus has done and by me wanting to follow after him. Would you be with us today that there would be a life change in us Thank you, God, that you're patient with us. Anyone here that's been apathetic in their faith, what a great thing knowing that you're forgiving and gracious and that we could come to you. May we be kingdom-minded people that desire for your kingdom as it is to come as it is in heaven and on earth. Your will be done as it is in heaven and on earth that we desire to obey you and to proclaim this truth. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.